Hello again, welcome to Catalogs and Noise. Uh, today we are going to talk about James Joyce's counterparts. My name is Joe, I'm here with Tom, Josh, Dan. And uh, we're going to get a little unconventional today. Mr. Dave wants to uh, start us off, so take it over. All right. Uh, so anyway, when I hit counterparts, I really kind of um, really came into my consciousness this idea that these identities of these characters are kind of blending into one another. And, um, you know, I kind of imagined, like, you know, if little Chandler's work life was as poor as his home life, he could be the character Farrington. You know, we end up with Farrington. And if Duran indeed gets trapped, we arrive at a character like little Chandler. And if we consider the possible sincerity of Lenahan's views of what a simple life might be, then we think of Duran's character. Or if we judge Polly for taking advantage of opportunities, you know, at the expense of other people, then we remember Evelyn, who didn't take those opportunities even at the expense of herself. You know, um, if that boy in Araby never loses his innocence, does he go out into the world like Jimmy and, and look for those opportunities out in the real world? And if that kid never stops chasing the cat, does he become Corley? Like, all these kind of character identities are blending in, and I kind of feel like they're, they're each like an echo of another character, and somehow these kind of voices are coming together, and they're, I don't know, they're starting to kind of feel a little haunting by the time we get to the end of Counterparts. You might even say that they're counterparts of one another. Yeah, what? Right. Well, so, huh. you know, that's, that's a good point to, to yeah. make. You know, yeah. The, you know, characters within this story are counterparts of each other. Characters within this whole universe of Dubliners are counterparts of one another. So, yeah, yeah it's that's a, that's a good point to make, absolutely. Yeah, I, and I think there's something particular about these last three stories. Boarding House, Little Cloud, and Counterparts that... It seems like they're all of a piece. You know, there's a kind of like, yeah, the progressions seem a little more pointed. I, you know, Sisters, Araby, um, and Encounter, yeah. they all kind of work as kind of parallel instances. And, you know, I don't know that I see a kind of aging progression or maybe a little bit in terms of mindset, but these are explicit. You know, I, I think by this point in the writing, I'd like to think that Joyce had this notion all the time, you know as he's going story to story. But um, I, I think he's kind of maybe focusing more deeply on the relatability of these works. Yeah. Do you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, the especially the last three, because right. uh, think about it, every one of the characters or the main characters in the last three, they're all grounded in the sense that they all have steady employment. You know, that's what separates this from the two gallants in that they're, they're kind of drifters, right? They're, they're grifting their way through their world. Whereas, you know, in, uh, in the boarding house, in, uh, in, uh, After the race. uh, well, no, I'm, I'm thinking that just of these last three uh, boarding house, little cloud. Uh, little cloud, and now in counterparts, you know, you have, you have steady employment, but you still have, you know, pretty abject misery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, the focus on work, uh, is, I think this is the horrifying first, I mean, this is the first, this is the first time, right? time we see the inside of a world. Yeah. Well, yeah. I guess the boarding house has aspects of that, but it's not the same. I think you're right. This is different. And Little Cloud, he's he's just there so that he can get out and have his meeting with his old buddy from uh, <clears throat> who's coming from London. Whereas here, like the main setting for the first part of it, for the first third at least, yeah. is the, the I assume like a scrivener's office, right? Even right. even the entry point into the story is just kind of like yeah, well, here's what to do, you know? Yeah. 
No, the focus is what work does to you. In boarding house, the focus is what the opposite sex does to you or marriage conventions do to you. This is, you know, I think a statement on the nature of work in Dublin. Yeah. Explicitly. It's a little cloud. But I'm sorry, but it's a little cloud what home life does to you then? Um... Not to make it such a kind of no, I don't know thing, that it's as simple as that because no. in a little cloud you have. Uh, uh, how did you guys decide to pronounce? Is it Gallagher? Is that how you say? Uh, uh, yeah, we talk. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah. Oh yeah, Josh was in oh, here. You were in here. So Dude, we missed you, man. Oh. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Of course, I, didn't. I, think sure I think it was actually recorded that you said you did. I, I don't remember that. I, I think uh, Gallagher is what we were saying. Okay. But so you know. The whole idea of the guy who actually does get out and come back, you know, knowing that he doesn't have to stay there the whole time. I mean, he almost reminded me of uh, what's uh, in uh, in the Evelyn story. The guy, Frank. Is it Frank? Who is that? The name of the character, the the guy that's the <laughs> sailor. Not, not Bob, right? No, not Bob Doran. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah. Frank, who's able, he comes in. I mean, he's he's only in Ireland for for yeah. like a few days or a week, but he gets to go back to Buenos Aires anyway. Um, uh, what we were saying is is uh, is uh, little cloud, you know, about the effects of just domestic life, or maybe you weren't just saying just domestic Not just, life. Yeah, but, but I think I think more. I, mean, I, I apologize. I shouldn't be butting in on little cloud because yeah. I missed that. No, one. of course. I think, what are you uh, about? A big part of little cloud is you know the effects of a feeling undermined by not being you know not being part of that outside world. You know, Gallagher was able to go out and get you know. Culture. He was able to go out and become one of the swing in London. Well, hundred years before swing, not hundred, but decades before swing in London, and come back yeah. and kind of flaunt his stuff. And he casts a cloud upon uh, the rest of the people that he sees, including Little Chandler. That's what the title is. I know. We, oh, we, I don't know. We, I, well, I, we forgot to talk about the title last time, and I wanted to get back to it. That, that, that I blame Josh for not being on my watch. Yeah, That's man. what I'm saying. I know you're an integral Josh, part of this operation. We also but, skipped over some dialogue in the middle. I think that Josh would have wanted. It was to also less tedious. That upset him more smoothly. I'm sure. Yeah, it's more engaging. So if you miss an episode, we spend the first half of the next episode catching up. All right, I'll shut up. I think so. Full disclosure: I just read the story five minutes ago because I read Clay by accident. <laughs> so I'm seeing everything through a play perspective. You're looking, you got your little, yeah. you know, leftovers from, from Little Cloud. <laughs> For me, it's it, everything's closing in on these characters. Yes. So because you're talking about things on the outside and this idea that there's the possibility, the, the notion of going abroad means adventure and life and and, and all of these options. And then after I, you know, once again, Clay and this, it, it, the noose is slowly sort of, uh, you know, tightening around all of these people's mm-hmm. necks, whether it's this person who, uh, you know, he's, he's just going from, you know, his day sucks, his boss yeah. sucks, and, and, and then he's pawning a watch, and the next thing you know, he's, he's going to whack his kid at home, and that's it, that's his life. Yeah. And and we see that in Clay, and we saw that in, in Little Cloud, we saw the beginning of it, with, with the, you know, the, the thing that... that that the, the child crying. That's the beginning of it. Where he really, the realization. He has a realization. We'll talk no. next week. I don't know if she has a realization in Clay, but nonetheless, they're all getting cornered. You feel like time's running out. Yes. Time really yes. is running out. You three, feel that desperation. Yeah, those first three stories that we talked about in the beginning, yeah, there were, there were things that were going on and, and, and you're being teased by being locked in. These people are seriously being locked in. Yeah. And it's by time because time, unfortunately... It is locked together with opportunity. That takes me back to that, <clears throat> excuse me, that moment where Linehan's eating and waiting for Corley to come back. 
where he's kind of like biding uh-huh. his time, but at the same time, you get a sense that even for him, you know, yeah. these opportunities to run around with Corley and make some scratch and hustle, you know, they're going to be few and far between, yeah. you know. Yeah, I didn't think about it before, but, you know, the pointing of the watch speaks directly to that. Yeah. You know, I never thought of it. Um, <laughs> right, no, it's the idea. I mean, he's he's screwed up his job, you know, his, he'll almost go nowhere. It's like he's giving away the last bits of kind of organized civilization. He's falling into this kind of bestial mode. Yeah, time is... Yeah, I, I've been reading Faulkner, you know, <laughs> time is a huge issue in it, but it, it because it's a stabilizing quality. I, right? I love how you don't find out right away either, right? You don't find out till much later in the story that, oh, it was his watch that he pawned. Yeah, that is a right. weird choice. Yeah, I, I like that. I'm, um, I'm pretty sure that they... No, I think it's his finger in the chain, and then he says... Uh, oh, is that what it doesn't was? he say pretty much right away, like, oh. It's a little ambiguous, I thought. He went through the okay. narrow alley of the temple bar quickly, muttering to himself that they could all go to hell because he was going to have a good night of it. The clerk and Terry Kelly said, a crown, but the oh, yeah, right. your held yes. out for six shillings, and in the end, the six shillings was allowed him literally. He came out of the pawn office joyfully, making a little cylinder of the coins between his thumb and fingers. I don't think it's that. Yeah, no, you don't, because it, become, yeah, it so becomes mysterious for like two pages where he got this money all of a sudden, <laughs> yeah. and then it's explained in that paragraph that I find highly problematic, but we'll get but, to but later. Um, yeah, you too? I know what you're um, but, but it's there that you get the explanation. But yeah, it's almost like... like um, willfully leaving information back i'm not really sure the reason but yeah yeah well, well for people like that who who their lives are kind of falling apart and they're, they're kind of falling into the self-destruction mode a lot of times you don't find out the things they do till after it has these kind of ramifications yeah. so in the middle of it all it doesn't matter that his watch is gone because he's going to the bar to get drunk it's only when you come home and you, and the dust settles that you realize shit i don't have my watch <laughs> no you know? there's a sense that he might even be like Lying to himself in a kind of denial. He doesn't yeah. want to think about it. Although I, I, I think this story is maybe the least um, – the, the narration is the least empathetic with the character. Right? There's a lot of distance between this narrator and Farrington. Um, and I think that's not been the, the trend, right? A Little Cloud is very, very close to Chandler. Uh, I think um, even the boarding house that, that makes a point of switching its kind of allegiance to characters is very interested in that character. Farrington's distant. This reminds me of After the Race, right? Don't you feel like After the Race, there's a distance from every one of the characters? Little Jimmy is perhaps the most sympathetic character, but he's not that sympathetic. Yeah. I mean, you're still not really in his head. And even with the interjections of like when they're like, doing the arm wrestling, like, go! And what I felt like, kind of that, that youthful man sport of after the race <laughs> as well. So that, that, that reminded me of that. I think yeah. that was the last story we read where I didn't feel like I was in somebody's head, whereas everything subsequent and prior to that, I felt like I was. Right. I know. I totally agree. And, you know, there's a, there's a strange convention in the story. Um, I'm not sure if you noticed it, but Farrington is more often than not called the man. By the narrator, not uh-huh. Farrington. Later, he takes over a little more, but particularly in the first half before the ellipses, it's the man did this, the man did that. He gets a little more kind of, um, I guess, more intimate attention later. But yeah, I, it's it's almost like I think you're right about the after the race. It's almost like Joyce is like he doesn't want to sympathize with this guy too much. You know, he's. Because he's he's far more distasteful than your average Dubliner, right? I think he's the, probably the least. I mean, he's the least 
empathetic person. Coralie. Least, that, 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 no, not Coralie. No, I'm saying Corley might run a run. Okay, Corley, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's probably yeah. the worst. But he's he's treated so. That story is not Corley's story. I know. This is Farrington's story. This is this is a grim look at a protagonist. Yeah. So I, I have the least. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I want to spend of <laughs> the two men. I think I'd rather spend more time with Corley than this guy. Right. Believe it or not. And you can feel Joyce's tension yeah. there, right? I think by that naming convention. So in all of these stories, are the the having developed that developing the sympathy for the character is that because there's a piece of Joyce in the in, in those characters, and in yeah. this one is and, and just like maybe he has an apathy or distaste for wealth and whatever that whole sort of clan sort of represented, and in here, you know he he has to write about. Uh, some drunkard who's a slob at work and is going to whack his kid and enjoy because because that, that's because if he's writing you know giving us a composite of life in Dublin that's that's got to be a part of it but there's little to hold on to here and, and maybe because Joyce can't see himself in that you know this yeah. person doesn't take pride in the work aspect you know and everything seems to be uh, falling apart for him maybe Joyce is just detaching himself yeah. from that not that 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 you write characters to put yourself in it but I think. Maybe unconsciously it does come through the spirit that you mm-hmm. identify with. Maybe you couldn't identify, you know, because he just doesn't have that kind he of violence. Have it, in, in, you know, yeah. But he, yeah, but he, sees, said, it, he sees it all around him. He sees right, it all exactly. Him. He, he needs it. to tell that story. Even even if you're going to tell the story from a woman's perspective, he he sees himself in, in Evelyn. Right. He right. sees himself in, in in the piety of of, of, of Maria and. Um, in clay so no doubt yeah no no i think there's something to that and you know i think the last case of that was was jimmy and after the race right you know that distance i don't think he really cared for that character very much or could you know because the character was just a full-blown sellout you know Mm -hmm. what i mean didn't really have integrity i saw distance there too i think uh, josh is absolutely right however i think this is a far far better story than after the race you know what i mean I don't know what he's doing to compensate for that because, you know, the failure of after – I know, failure. I know. It's not a failure. But the problems we saw in after the race had to do with that, that connection. Yeah. What is he doing here that's making up for that? Because he's treating the character in a very similar way. Is it that the story is more compelling or the, the, the plot complications are more interesting or – After the race felt somewhat repertorial, right? It felt like, like – Yeah. Is, is that even a word? No, I, 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 gosh. I, 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 like I, I, it felt like you know, you're, yeah. you're telling something that actually happened and it really did happen. You know, it really was an event that yeah. occurred in Dublin whereas this is – This is real life this is, yeah, stuff. Yeah, like real life. Yeah. I, I remember – from from the uh, race, I, I got a sense that it was almost like a tabloid was reporting on the on yeah, the lives of four that. spectacular young men and how they were you know and, and one not so spectacular yeah exactly yeah I know. <laughs> um, and in this this is yes as we said this is this is a fortunate yeah yeah um, I guess it, it has to do with kind of individuality or honesty or I didn't, authenticity authenticity yeah. I didn't feel that in after the race right it, it, it hid an allegory well it, that's the thing I mean I think we talked about how there were there was an attempt perhaps to kind of create some allegorical some symbolism at the end where you right. know somehow the Irish guy and and the who's who's on the outside the American and the Irish guy are looking in at the French and the English guy you know the playing Hungarian his, guy was also yeah he was always, he wasn't even mentioned at the end they could have cared less that you know oh that, you mean he was left out of the yeah, game at the yeah, left out of the, the game. game but like 
I could see that being a little bit too perfect, right? Like, you know, oh, we know the trick. Like, once you can see the strings behind the puppet show, then it's not as exciting, you know? And I think that's kind of yeah. where that falls I think in. that's right. Although it's, it's done so here. I mean, a very simple reading of this, and I still think it's successful, more successful than after the race, is, you know, the, the child, what is it, Tom? The child is yeah. going to become the next Farrington. I mean, he's going to be the next... You know, you know, person who's going to be violent tempered and beat his child or whatnot. Maybe I don't know that that's definitive. Don't you? Then why end it that way? Could why be, why could end it be, with him going home and and beating his? So doesn't don't you feel like that? That's kind of again reading it very simply. Don't you feel like that explains Farrington? Farrington as a cycle, brought up as, as a cycle as, of as, abuse. Uh, yeah. But he could, yeah. but he could turn into a Corley kid, right? He could turn into or a, an a Lenahan. One of the big things that jump out, and maybe it is, you know. Joyce is hitting you over the head with it is repetition and yeah. copying mm-hmm. and repet- it's just going to happen over and over so maybe that does oh there you go I didn't, I'm not going to go here you're cheating um, so I guess that's so you may maybe purposely you're getting that impression that maybe it's going to be carried yeah. on no I, I think you're right I, I, let me put it this way I think it's more likely than not yeah. that's the case but I don't know that it's definitively so right no of course there's there's always that hope There's in every one of these stories there's always A that glimmer. little glimmer of a, well there's no glimmer here No, but we uh, as readers right Oh, unless is, you believe that the Hail Mary is really going to save that child. Oh, I know. Uh, but yeah, yeah Tom, bringing up repetition. Repetition is all over the fabric of the story, Absolutely. which is so fitting in many ways. One, just at the very basic level, this is an office of a scrivener where your sole job is just to copy stuff. And then even in the language, I mean, I just started circling things like, why does, like, you know, the the, the main, uh, the boss, what, how do you pronounce his name? Alan? Alan? I don't, I don't know whether it's... Uh, yeah, I was well, just thinking Alan, well, but... Mr. A, uh, you know, where he like, <laughs> says, you know, but Mr. Shelley said, sir. Mr. Shelley said, sir, and blah, blah, blah. And repeats yeah. what he said. And then he says, uh, and I say, not what Mr. Shelley says, sir. And then just keeps repeating. And then even Farrington repeats what he says. And so that idea of repetition, the idea of time running out, there's you feel just claustrophobic. Well, the monotony. He, he tells yeah. he tells the heroic story about the slight, right. like seven times, right? right? But, but by the way, you notice he doesn't repeat the sir. Like when he says yeah, yeah, the slight, he does actually say sir. That's not a fair question or whatever it right. is, and then he repeats it without. Oh the yeah, sir. no, he even so and even slight. that's he even, that's his narrative, right? Because yeah. he says, "Oh, I'm going to make this great narrative," and then he just basically gives yeah. the one thing that happened. Yeah. You know what's what? What did he do to embellish it? Right. No, I, I like that he even practices it. You know, his work self that is emasculated is now going to be on the way to his bar self, kind of like, you know, think up a costume to wear. You know, yeah. the story and you know, take the sir out and not talk about the real reprimand that happened afterwards and play I, that game. I think the displacement is so poignant in this story, and obviously it's clear as day. But you know, you just get this idea that you know when you live a life of a Dubliner. You know, you're you're feeling such intense pain. You wanted to get out. You're trapped, and so the only thing you could do is take it out on other people. Whether it's victimizing people like Corley and Linehan are going to do, or you know, perhaps trapping other people who might potentially save you, like what Polly and, and Mrs. Mooney do. Yeah. You know, you get this idea that you can't hold on to all this pain yourself. Somehow, you have to displace it onto other people, and then you get this kind of dark ending. Here's a question: Are you said that you know, all these people are taking, they're, they're displacing this feeling because they're they're trapped. Are they just generally shitty people because there's shitty people in the world? <laughs> and Joyce is, yeah. is projecting his feeling because yeah. Joyce's biggest concern probably is he's you know as he's growing up. Will I will I be one of these people here? 
or I'm gonna, or am I gonna be able to get out of here? So, I mean, part of it is people suck and people are rather shitty. Farrington sucks. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> In every way. <laughs> so, but we get a sense of of the trapped element all the time because that's probably in Joy. It was Joyce's nightmare as a as a kid, as a as an adolescence, and and you know until he makes it or. And, Till he's like far away and that's it. I don't know. No, well, I, I mean, I think early fortune you see that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But this story, I think, is interesting after a little cloud because little Chandler seems to be a victim of his circumstances. This is almost like Joyce saying, "But now I'm going to give you one that's kind of similar, now, where the guy's an asshole." Yeah. Now, now chew on that. Now, what does that mean, yeah. right? That's why I think this one is so much more successful, right? Because it's it's so much more complicated. I feel equal parts. You know, just horror at what he has to go through at work and frustration with his asinine behavior. Yeah. Right. Both those things exist. Yeah. Well, the horror of what he has to go on, go you know, deal with at work is largely brought upon by himself. Right. Well, one, one gets the sense yeah. that a guy that walks out possibly five times a day to go get a, <laughs> you know, a drink is maybe not the best worker. Like if you're already keeping your cap in your pocket because you know you have to make sure that all the caps are still there. Yeah. To make, like that's a guy with a yeah. problem. But what I'm saying is what makes you the alcoholic that needs five times? Okay. It, it's the repetitive drudge of, yeah, yeah, yeah. of having to kowtow to these people right. to have to sit and do this. I mean, th- well, there's a, I, today I think we call Farrington, you know, absolutely an alcoholic and maybe somebody that was, you know, horribly depressed. Like, like we, we'd find a way to, I get a sense that he physically can't write the next word. You know what I mean? He's so kind of broken. Mm-hmm. You know, what he needs is treatment. He needs, I don't know, is that yeah. too kind of like like touchy liberal no, or something? Coming from you, it is a little I, bit. I'm hardcore. You're, you're, you know, that's the, the second or the last quarter of the 20th century speaking. Right. So then I guess it's just, it's yeah. commonplace. Yeah. No. Um, but but Dublin, I mean, that, what Joyce wants to get more than anything is Dublin made Farrington. Yeah. Well, I think that's well, why it ends the way it does. I agree. But, yeah. but I, well, in a way, though, Tom was suggesting, well, not necessarily, right? Like, in some ways, could these just be the people stuck in Dublin because they were shitty. They didn't have any, you know, you know, they didn't make opportunities for themselves. Maybe Farrington yeah. was like this his whole life. That's what's so interesting is we're only getting glimpses of these right. people, you know? We don't yeah. see the whole trajectory. Somehow the whole trajectory is between all of them together. Yeah. Although I think the implication in this story is that this isn't the first or last time he's had this day, <laughs> Right. I mean, I don't think this is uh, – and I think it's maybe the case for most of the stories. We're not seeing an extraordinary day in the life. We're seeing an average day in the life. I felt terrible because I was laughing for so much of the story. It's because you're a bad I felt, person. I felt, ter- yeah. I felt terrible. God, you're like, and, until there, there, was one mo- there was one moment where it stopped when it was like the dark, damp night was coming and he longed to spend it in the bars, <laughs> drinking with his friends amid the glare of gas and the clatter of glasses. And I was like, "Oh shit, man! This guy needs help." Yeah, you can't go to your shrink. This is this is what no, he does. Yeah, this is this not as Version of going to the shrink would be going to confession, but I don't get the sense. Confession. Yeah, no, I'm thinking pharmacology. Yeah, though. yeah. I'm thinking yeah. you know, pop some pills, and that's yeah. that, so that's so you have those two things. You could go to confession. That's yeah. your therapist, and and your psychiatrist is uh, yeah. you know the local bar. Does I, the I, priest I, come into this story? No, now? there's no, no priest. Right? No. Oh, well, the Hail Mary. Where's mom? She's at the chapel. And mom's at the chapel, right? That's true. That God's absent here. Yeah. You know, we can just wail for help. What the heart? Yeah. 
Well, what really gets me is when the, he starts making fun of the kid with the way, at the chapel, at the chapel, mm-hmm. you're repeating after the kid. More repetitions. Well, didn't uh, he make fun of the bosses? Like, with that's his how accent. He, yeah, yeah, so it seems like that's a bad he habit. Copies. He has. He copies. He copies. That's his move. Like, yeah. <laughs> his, that's, that's his uh, shtick. You know, I'm going <laughs> to... I got another intelligence. He's got gonna, no, no comeback. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like the worst form of retort. You know? <laughs> But you're right, it's all copying. So before we started, we were talking about similarities to Bartleby the Scrivener. Um, And, you know, which Bartleby is probably my favorite short story of all time. It's incredible. But um, I I don't know. I like this trope, you know, this idea of, you know, being a copyist as the kind of monotony of life. It it shows up in a couple other places too. It was suggested it shows up in Google. I I feel like it shows up in Dickens and Bleak House, a couple other things, you know, isn't Bob Cratchit essentially doing the same thing, you know? Um, But this idea that, that the mundanity of life boils down to just like copying somebody else. And think about it, you know, at least the monks in the middle ages were copying fascinating texts. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Whereas they're copying, you know, what is it? The I've already lost the quote, but like, you know, that just that little, in no case, shall the said Bernard Bodley be, you know, he's already like, but, And that little note, he's like, isn't it interesting that there's three Bs in a row? Yeah. Yeah. Like he's trying to make anything out of this monotony. It's little Chandler, right? The poet. Yeah. You know, yeah right, right. <laughs> noticing alliteration. Yeah. All uh, right. The, the, the best thing about it about it all is just the scent of Miss Delacour, right? You know, that's, be- that's better than whatever information she's bringing. <laughs> I like how the scent salutes his nose. Like, like, it's like, ooh. <laughs> well, because it's just something new, some yeah. new stimulus in the air, literally. You know, anything to break up the drudgery of the day. Oh, God. I mean, it's could, a terrible story. But, oh, it, and all right. So one more question before we actually like, enter the story. I feel I like the story a lot. I, it's definitely the top half of the stories in the book. I think. Is it too sadistic though? I feel like I don't know. I feel like Joyce like just ramps up the sadism, you know, and doesn't give me much else. I just came out of Clay yesterday, so like he's I, I, very humane. Man, I, I view it tremendously sadistic. Really? Yeah. Because there, there, there's so many like, oh, good thing, no, crappy thing. Good thing's gonna happen, no, it turns out shit. <laughs> so there's just like, <laughs> there's a, there's a, a, you know, an ascension and then a precipitous drop yeah. all the time, and, and there seems to be a lot of humiliation. This is just sorted straight through, I guess. Not to go too deep into clay, but the difference is that I, there is humiliation. She doesn't. Maria doesn't recognize it, so she lives in her own kind of content bubble. That, that's, that's my only thing. Is her Farrington does, and he's is a, in pain because of it constantly. But his life is gross. His life, his is life gross. Is right. right. And this this story, sorry, just, this story seems more authentic than after the races, though, right? Like, don't you get a sense that this is a real Dubliner versus yeah. someone like Jimmy? You know, but. I know we, you guys have been ripping on the race, but maybe that was the intent of Joyce. Yeah, I lost it. Here, I agree. Here's like some sort of tabloid fodder yeah, for you. you I know? agree. And, and he yeah. made it. He he ramped it up a little bit, you know, too much to exaggerate sort of the, you know, some yeah. of the elements of it. Totally. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the opening. You got something? No, I'm good. All right. I, I like how the story just kind of drops you into chaos. Right. Um, the bell rang furiously and Miss Parker went to the tube. A furious voice called out from the piercing north of Ireland accent. Son Farrington here. Miss Parker returned the machine. Right. You, you get this just kind of commotion, this, yeah. this, you know, blast of annoyance. 
I can appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> right. You're thrown into the the madness of this this workaday world. Yeah. And it does. Everything seems so mechanized, right? Like the idea of the tube and the, the machine, right. and the voice that comes out of nowhere. You get that kind of steampunk feel that we have right now, right? <laughs> Particularly, right? Yeah. <laughs> for Dead Man. Yeah, for 19, whatever, 10 or 8 or whatever this is being written, that must be very jarring. Yeah. You know, that kind of mechanism. I don't know. When, well, are, when are people shouting at the tubes? Well, it's jarring just in a sense of how he opens up most of his stories too, right? You know, we're so yeah. used to that kind of romantic setting. Yeah, this it's is med- very... not meditative yeah, at all. It's not meditative. This is pneumatic. <laughs> yeah, think of it. you got all this like breath and tubes like blast him under his breath. Yeah. Folding, folding. I want to know what a hanging face looks like. Yeah. I got an image of Farrington. You ready? Yeah. It's the boxer from Looney Tunes. Do you remember Crusher? Yeah. Okay. You remember <laughs> Crusher? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he comes in at one point, you know, Bugs gets him against the ropes and he bangs into the door and he comes in, he's all senseless and he puts a top hat and a coat okay. on him. That's Farrington in my mind the whole time. I couldn't get it out. Okay. I, I get that. You want to know minus? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why this story evokes imagery, but like, I, I it's Mr. Bentley from the Jeffersons, but a little bulkier, a little, and like what? with a mustache because he's tall and he's kind of like like he's looming over you. Look, I'm not he's saying not, this. He's like a feet old. I, I know. I like, feel like it's a badass version of him. I don't know. Okay, so if you took him and then dirtied him, up I took a him and dirtied him up a little. I gave him dirty eyes or whatever he said in the text. Whoa. Dirty eyes. That's what he has. Yeah. Jefferson, it's a good show. Okay. Can we do that? <laughs> yeah, one episode. Uh, uh, we'll do a season. There's probably, we'll season. Uh, there's probably 300 episodes. That'd be great. I'm all for it. Um, but I, I wanted to talk about the physicality of him. I mean, I, you know, I think there's a, a lot of painstaking detail about physical masculinity here. You know, the idea that um, Alan, Aline, whatever, is a small guy that, you know... Okay. Like an egg shape, like fra- an egg fragile shape. egg shape that you just want to snap. Right, and that he, he holds such kind of uh, power over Farrington, who is this... I, I mean, I think there's... I mean, I don't know that we appreciate it today, but a hundred years ago, that was a real blow to ego, I think. The idea that that masculinity is not judged by physical prowess. Mm. You know, those ideas are still very, very connected to, I think, that late, late Victorian identity. Um, but I think the social cast of centuries ago always had that going no matter what. There'd always yeah, be some sure. sort of waif little aristocrat and you'd always have some beefy person who unfortunately had to be obsequious to that person. So it just changes how it is. So you, now you're in an office setting instead of uh, yeah. you know, being their foot, footman or just your butler or whatever. Yeah, no, going backwards, I think you're absolutely right. I don't know that we have the same appreciation for that now. You know, we, in in our kind of, you know, middle-class American points of view, you know, whether you're a tough guy or not, doesn't really matter all that much in the day-to-day, does it? Nowadays. What are you doing? The mic. Because you you don't talk loud enough. All right, we're going to pull the curtain back. Talk louder, motherfuckers. (laughs) I'm watching the screen. No, you're not talking loud enough either. What about me? None of you are. I'm the only one that talks loud enough. Yeah, it's like... Well, because we don't have a screen in front of us. That's I know. Us I'm, screen. Screen. I'm, I'm directing like a, like a symphony. It's a big guessing game. Yeah. You know? We don't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> All right. Back to the story. Enough of this shit. 
As far um, as masculinity goes, <laughs> clearly for uh, Farrington it matters, right? Like yes, crushed that's when, what I'm saying. When the, that's what his the, identity. The guy Weathers is, you know, presumably some British fop from the theater. Is although isn't he characterized as a strong man? Yeah. Right, like he's like an yeah. acrobat, like he's clean. but he's, he's unassuming, right? Right, you wouldn't assume yeah. that. Well, he drinks right. mineral water with his whiskey. And water <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's young. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So that that whole first you know section is just grueling, man. I mean, he doesn't give Farrington a break here for a second. Nobody does. Uh, I guess that's what I meant by by. The sadism. It's now, kind of justified, though, right? I mean, well, no, right? that's right. He, 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 Understand he, once and for all, you get a half an hour for your lunch and not an hour and a half. Like I get a sense, Farrington goes out and does not come back for a long time. And, and he gives reports with like two missing letters, hoping that the boss is. And he knows it, right? And he knows it. He's conscious of it. And by the way, someone who's that sloppy, you know that he knows that he didn't deliver the report, you know, full. <laughs> well, I, I like, but there, there's a sense that. You know, when he catches him on where are these two things that when Farrington retorts and says, like, what are you talking about? That in that moment, he really believes, like, how dare you, sir? Like, you know, like, like there's there's a there's a way that you can fool yourself to kind of live with yourself and your own shortcomings that I think Joyce captures. I don't believe that he's scheming that moment. He really is indignant. You know, he's not. I don't want to spend a second with this guy. He's a complete asshole. I kind of would like to see him get drunk at the bars. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right? Maybe he just gets sullen, right? Doesn't he get sullen at one point? He well, doesn't pay attention. Oh, I, that's think, when he loses, I right? picture him going oh, through, like, you know, they went all day long, three different bars. I picture that guy having, like, 20 different moods over the course of the night. None you know, of them pleasant. He'd, right. He'd be yelling at you, and then he'd be sulking, this and then the he'd guy, be distant. This is the know? guy you want to hang out with now. That's true. You were laughing, though. You thought this was a comic. Before. I tell you, I was laughing for a lot of it. I felt terrible. Yeah, the end is really funny, right? Oh, and it's hysterical. <laughs> um, I mean, in, in this opening scene, though, you... Uh, Joyce... Oh, how do I put this? Joyce is very interested in, you know, looking at his inner self, though. He doesn't want to just treat him as, like, a kind of bullying lump, no. you know? Yeah. I mean, look, a spasm of rage gripped his throat as for a few moments, and then passed, leaving after it a sharp sensation of thirst. That's that, an that's incredible That's this guy's life, right? That's like, it. it goes from fits of rage to what's what's the medicine? Like, how do you, yeah. uh, you know, self-medicate? You go right to drink. But but I love, see, the next part, line is where I laughed, because Joyce combines such a dramatic, complicated inner thought like that with, you know... Um, that, that he had this sharp sensation of thirst. The man recognized this sensation and felt that he must have a good night's drinking. Yeah. But no, <laughs> like, Josh went you know, the right way. It's self-medicated. Yeah. Oh, you know? course, And then that. immediately you go to, like, you can justify anything. You can rationalize anything. And you've got everything planned out when you have a problem like that. And I like how immediately he's thinking. The middle of the month was passed. And if he could get the copy done in time, Mr. Allen might give him an order uh, on the cashier. So maybe he could draw a salary a little bit earlier. Like, he's already thinking like that. You know, and a little bit later when he's thinking, can I get the cashier? Is that cashier going to help me? Yeah. The cashier's no damn good. Like, he's thinking of all the options. Right. And, like, when you really have that addiction to With anything, you know, like, all the ways to get what – it's all rational to you. Yeah. To yeah. us, it seems crazy, but to him, it's totally rational. I mean, I love, I love those moments of procrastination where he's like, you know – as soon as I get that drink, I'm going to come back and I'm going to do this 100%, man. You know, the, the lights will be lower. I, 
it, it's it's nonsensical, but in that moment, he has to make himself believe it to live with well, himself. He is, he is believing it. He, he's, yeah. he's, you know, having that interior monologue with himself. Yeah. Without a doubt. I, I think you feel bad for him. You know, you, you go, you can't imagine how um, light Joyce kind of makes a, a kind of joke of this whole environment. But then you start to realize that this guy can't get through his day without, you know, somehow medicating or figuring out a plan to do so. I don't know. My, I kind of felt bad for the guy. No, I do too. Until, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, I know. I mean, you said before that he was kind of an asshole. I, well, he I mean, definitely is. I know, but he's well, because we know how it ends, right? I No, I think even leading up, you get glimpses of, you know. I, see, I felt bad for the guy. I, I felt this guy's like, you know, here's a dude who got stuck in some crappy job. He's not very proficient in many things. <laughs> and, he, you know, he's got a, a shitty boss who's all over him and. No. So two details I have questions about. One is, why do we need him to have a North Irish accent? I mean, I get that. I get that like an English accent would be a little too much here, a little too pointed. But why the North Irish thing? Sorry, Tom. Yeah, I was going to say like. If you are from Northern Ireland, are you considered even more provincial? So I don't know. Like a yeah, you know, like loyal to Britain. Maybe. Like. You know, Depends what side you're on. Actual, <laughs> yeah, and there, we've Ireland. had lots of lots of uh, more money. I think, right? I mean, more money than in New York, Dublin. I think, yeah, because I got mm. the sense that uh, we've seen glimpses of this before, right? Where guys from Northern, what weren't there? I forget the story, but isn't there like a, a housing uh, project that's going up that's clearly built by somebody from Northern Ireland that's meant to be kind of gentrifying the area? Yeah, was that Jenny's dad? No, I don't think so. No. But don't they say? Don't they usually say Belfast when they want you to? I don't know. I, I don't think the word Belfast say. comes up in Dubliners that I remember. But yeah, Northern Ireland still has that. It has a, that okay. that stink. So, but it's still at least that he's kind not of a Dubliner, though. I mean, at least he's an outsider. Well, no, I think that's that's important that he's an outsider. But is he Protestant? Like, wouldn't he say it though? Wouldn't uh, I don't think you have to. Though. Joyce, you would if just you're, know it. If you're I, more, I assume so. I mean, I, I, well, here, let's, let's see. I mean, not that this is the right answer, but I'll see. Here. But if you're North Irish, you're most likely Protestants. Yeah, that's yeah, probably I the case. So. You know, at least other in some way. Yeah, I, I guess I was, I don't know about superior necessarily, but, you know, that's kind of making sense. Is that the term for it? I'm sorry, I'm like completely off with it. I mean, oh. North of Ireland, that's referring specifically to that region. I didn't think of I actual Northern Ireland proper. I was just thinking the entire Northern country. Yeah. And I was thinking, the fact when, that he is an outsider to Dublin is a further step of emasculation. Yeah. When, do, when does the division uh, occur? What do you mean? Uh, Where we start calling it North Ireland as separate from regular Ireland. Well, when I guess when regular Ireland, Ireland independence. independent. So on those multiple uh, stages in, in the 1920s and then finally yeah. in the 40s or 48. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, I guess this is probably before any kind of definitive demarcation, but... I, I think Dave's right. The most important aspect is he's not a Dubliner. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's the only little note here in this particular commentary talks about how it's a notably different sound than accents from all over Ireland. Like it's a very harsh cutting so, sound. So you would know right away. Yeah, it says a cutting right northern accent, and then there's just descriptions of how they would sound, like phonetic spellings of how what you would hear in Dublin would sound versus what you'd hear in Northern mm-hmm. Ireland. Yeah. So but it's I'll, an easy accent then to make fun of, as he does yeah. later. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing was the cap, um, the shepherd's plaid cap. Yeah. Um, I don't, is that a specific kind of 
like I didn't even look it up or anything. Is that it's a, obviously a specific yeah. brand of plaid, but does that have any significance? I don't know. No, no, probably the only thing not. I took with the caps is uh, it's his ruse for how to sneak no, out of the office. Yeah, right? that I got. That's 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 a smart. That's why he needs to have it in his pocket and return it to his pocket. Yeah, I mean, it shows just like how cagey he is. Yeah, another sign of an addict. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what does he say? He he as he as the clerk chief clerk looks at him, he goes. It's all right, Mr. Shelley, and then just walks out the door. Well, so pointing oh. with his finger to indicate the objective of his journey, does that mean uh, someone speculate that he's as though, like, I'm just going to the bathroom? Oh, really? And then that would explain when he comes back and, you know, the you know, got the clients there and he doesn't want to say anything. Like, Mr. Allen has been calling for you, said the chief clerk severely. Where were you? The man, Barrington, glanced at the two clients who were standing at the counter as if to intimate Intimate, rather, that their presence prevented him from answering. As if to say, I don't want to say I was just taking a dump. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I don't know if that's... Oh, you. Oh, see, I read that completely differently. Yeah. And not to say you're wrong. Yeah. I thought he pointed to the door. Yeah. And then Shelley knew that, all right, that, this is another thing he's doing. That's because then Shelley says to him, you know, I know that game. Five times in one day is a little bit... Because if it's talking about the bathroom, that makes no sense. It's five, yeah, yeah. It's five drinks. It's five drinks. Yeah, five drinks. Right? Yeah. He's done this... You know, and he's probably being a little hyperbolic. Then there's a note about because there was all men, he can make that joke. And, yeah. But Farrington takes that hard, right? Yeah. He doesn't like the idea that um, that Shelley has made light of his situation. Yeah. No, not Shelley. Shelley's his his go-to guy who helps him out. Oh, whoever, he, whoever no, no, the, Shelley, is, it, no, it's the same guy. Shelley's the, same guy. the chief clerk. Oh, it is. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Uh, Higgins or is it Higgins? No. Oh. Yeah. No. Guy I, that jokes with and drinks with. Yeah, Higgins is Higgins is his compatriot. Um, I don't know. Is there any significance to Shelley? We just read a story that had a explicit Shelley uh, poetry in it. I don't think this is. Yeah, this is a oh, okay. PB Shelley. Right. <laughs> Little Chandler's uh, romantic right. poet himself of the Celtic twilight. Right? Of, yes, of the the Celtic brand, the Celtic brands. Um, yeah, no, I, I I thought that was all. I mean, it's kind of coded his actions and gestures because this is something that happens constantly. Well, you, what do you do? You walk out of the door before you could give an answer, right? Like that's the move to, to be like, oh, you know, it's okay. And then you're gone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Disappear to the bar. Yeah. Um, I mean, Farrington hates himself, I think. Really? Yeah, I do. He does have that moment of, it's the paragraph you're referring to that you said you had problems with. I mean, it's late in the story. I don't know if you want to jump to yeah, it. No, that's, no. that's where you get a lot of that. Uh, well, let's do something right before that, okay. right? So right before that, um, after the, so you get the whole work situation and then you get the break in my text anyway, yeah. right? The ellipses and we're going to go into a new realm here. You get a sentence like, he felt savage and thirsty and revengeful, annoyed with himself and with everyone else. Mr. Allen would never give him an hour's rest. His life would be a hell to him. Uh, he made a proper fool of himself this time. You hear that just kind of like beating yeah. up on himself. Yeah. He recognizes who he is. Yeah. But at the same time, he he wants to brag about it. Like he goes back and forth. He right. has this reckoning at certain moments where, you know, the cloud of depression kicks in and that self-awareness of just how, you know, what a stinking you know, core of a life yeah. he's got right now. But then when the cloud of the booze or even the idea of the booze kicks in, suddenly things wake up, the spark starts yeah. flaring again. But that's human, yeah. right? You I mean, pretend like you don't care yeah. and then, you know, it comes out that you do, right? Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, the, the idea of that depression, which comes in waves, is really effective here. Like the fogs, I mean, there's all kinds of fogs and clouds here. Right. You know, and it actually says, and just continuing on with that, he felt his great body again aching for the comfort of the public house. The fog 
had begun to chill him and he wondered, but that fog is not just the fog outside of a February right. day. It's the fog of, you know, his disappearing his, into the alcohol, yeah. you know, uh, losing Content the, the awareness. Yeah, losing the awareness of the horrible emasculation you just yeah. suffered the whole day. Absolutely. Yeah. Now that is part of the paragraph that I find. Is this a paragraph that I find problematic? <laughs> Wait, um, no, it's not. Uh, what were you talking about, Josh? Well, no, you were talking about. Um, I thought you you were talking about. You found problematic the paragraph where it does actually mention that he had pawned his watch. He does say watch. Which, chain. yeah, you're right. Yeah. He was fingering the watch chain, right? Yeah, the paragraph it's implied before. that he's, it's he's implied. Yeah, it's implied. But no, in the like towards the end. Um, I got it. Yes. Yeah, you know, a very um, sullen faced man stood at the corner one. of a Connell Bridge. That paragraph does not belong in this text. Wait, that annoys the shit out of me. I, I don't feel that strong. 84 in your yeah. text. A very sullen-faced man stood on the corner of O'Connell Bridge, waiting for the little uh, shandy-mouthed tramp to take him home. He was full of smoldering anger and revengefulness. He felt humiliated and discontented. He did not feel uh, drunk, and he had only two pence in his pocket. Now, you can keep going. Yeah. This is basically a summary of what I just read. I knew all of this. I felt all of this. I feel like Joyce doesn't trust me to yeah. to take it all in and really understand the stakes here. I'll, I'll push back. I think this entire section is is written in a different tone than, than what comes previously. So maybe he's 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 really throwing the brakes okay. on and shifting direction yeah. on purpose, and and making you have to relive the very thing that he has to relive. Perhaps you know. Yeah, he, yeah. This is the shitty coming home, right? This is the you know he's got to get yeah. on his little tram. Go back right. home to misery. It, it's, I mean, Joe, you and I have talked about this before. Like, I think I once criticized something as being too on the nose. And I, maybe it was you, I don't remember, but you, you pushed back and you said, what's wrong with that? You know, like that should not just be a criticism unto itself or something to be I mean, on the nose. Yeah. And th this is, this is on the nose, but I, I think it fits. I mean, See, it's, again, it's his, him reckoning with that self-loathing. I'm buying the argument of like, you know, from his perspective, reliving this moment. I like that. Um, but when it, we're, it's different than on the nose. On the nose just means too obvious. After I the that's what you were saying. The end of after the race. No, I'm not saying this is too obvious. This is. It's telly. Too repetitive. It's yeah. telly, not showy. Yeah. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's my problem with it. You know what I mean? I know all this. I felt all this already. It, I, I'm getting it. The repetition, considering, considering the title and the. Theme of repetition. I'm more with it, you know. Mm -hmm. he, he does this in a little cloud. Sorry, to yeah, yeah, sure. He does this in a little cloud where he's looking around at the furniture. He's thinking about his wife and how she's pretty and mean. And then all the furniture around the place becomes kind of pretty and mean. And then there's this line that says, "A dull resentment against his life awoke within yeah. him." Like you don't really need to tell me that line. Like I sense the resentment I already. You know, I feel that too. Oh, and and yeah. so, well, I mean, what about this? So you're you you get on your tram to go home got time to kill you got time to meditate this paragraph encapsulates everything that's yeah. happened no, that's, it's, it's, it sums that's what I'm, up yeah. everything and the last thing what was the only highlight of the day see I think the payoff is in the last sentence his heart swelled with fury and when he thought of the woman the woman in the big hat <laughs> who had brushed against him and said pardon like that was that that was it like he's looking at that woman he's into that woman and and all he gets she walks past she actually touches him she says pardon it's in an interesting accent it's Isn't a london right? accent but then she leaves it's like oh you know that yeah. like what was i thinking you know i never and no, I like your read. I like your read. Uh, as him reliving it, I totally get it. And I'll tell you, and this plays off of something Tom said before, 
the tone changes, particularly because he's not the man in this paragraph. He's he, his heart, he, right? He's given a little more humanity here because we're in his perspective. And how, I'm and, buying it. And, and, so, okay. no, I was saying, like, this is his own little piece. There's a recapitulation, and then when it sets up, you, the conversation almost goes back and forth, back and forth. We don't see that. Right, I think in any other part, yeah. usually if there is conversation, it's broken up by a, a bunch of other thoughts and interactions and things like this. This is our longest in a volley of, of a conversation that takes place. So, almost like take this out. This is this is your 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 codo to it. Yeah, yeah, it's part three. It's a tripartite. Well, story. that's why I was actually thinking that you could remove that whole. I, I don't anymore. I'm buying you what you're saying, but you can remove that whole paragraph and put another ellipsis here, <laughs> and yeah. and that does the same thing essentially. You can remove it and you have yourself a story still, you know, yeah. at the same time. What's interesting is all this humanity comes into um, Farrington at this moment, or at least the argument that Tom was saying, the tone changing. And yet it happens right as a precursor to the end. You know, like this is the moment where we're supposed to, you know, perhaps finally feel some empathy for this guy. And then, you know, just kind of the rug gets pulled. I don't know about you. I know it's referenced earlier. Somebody jokes that, like, oh, he can't go after the ladies he's married. Right. And and you wonder, like, is he really married or was that just a joke? And I still found myself surprised when he does oh, – he really? comes home <laughs> to a home and he does have a wife. And I love the detail that his wife was a little sharp-faced woman who bullied her husband when he was sober right. and was bullied by him when he was drunk. Yeah. There's all kinds of chiasmus in That's this. The whole idea of A, B, B, A, structure, okay. and that kind of repetition through mirroring, and then the whole idea of counterparts and mirroring, you know, but that, that, that note you have, that's the first time we even hear he's married or has any life outside of work or pub, you know, and he's so annoyed that anybody has ever even mentioned it. This is the first time we hear Farrington's heavy, dirty eyes leered at the company in the token that he understood when he was being chafed. Yeah. Right. You know, it's like, how all do the you guys, bring up that uh, all the aspect guys, of my life? Right. All the guy said was he's married. Yeah. It was probably a compliment. <laughs> right. But he, you don't he see winces. it like that. Yeah. yeah. His dirty eyes. Oh, those dirty That's, eyes are repeated through the whole yeah, thing. Little Chandler, man. You know, I mean, this is him like 20 years later after all that. No, well, I don't see that. I don't well, see a little, I see I a little Chandler continuing to be bullied by his oh, wife. Right, right. Yeah. But yeah, he'll but be there's, But there's an days. echo of Chandler in Farrington. You know what I mean? There's an echo in the pot complication. Yeah, definitely. without a doubt. Um, I, I mean, I think it's a variation. Yeah, you know? exactly. Totally. You know, some Dubliners deal with it this way, some deal exactly. with it this way. I mean, Chandler is somebody who's going to take it, right? But Farrington's not. He's going to lash out. He's going to displace. Yeah. You know, but they're kind of in a similar situation. Yeah. Before we get back home, though, let's go back to the pub a little bit. I think we skipped a little of that. Um, Which pub? There were three. Well, yeah. I mean, the <laughs> pub life. Because, you know, strangely, when I think of Joyce, you know, one of the things I think of most are kind of pub settings. You know, people in pubs. You know, uh, orating and carrying on. Uh, you so know, much of uh, Ulysses. So yeah. much of Ulysses is like that. A little bit in portrait. Um, but this is actually the first time in Dubliners, I think, we get a scene of pub life. Uh, is that right? No. A little cloud. Oh, no, you're right. It's you're right. Two it's, gallons. Uh, two gallons. Uh, oh, yeah, you're right. Time, he walks in for a little bit. I'm completely off. No, you're no, right. no. You're, you're not because this is it, it really – like there's a high concentration of it. There's and something this is more you know, real. Yeah. Actually, you know what this, this? So, what was the other story? We kept saying that the, the distance sounded like or felt like you know after the race. Yeah. The men also they're not in a pub, but they're drinking and cavorting. Yeah. Them. Right. Yeah. No. There's, there's similar aspects, but there's something to the kind of culture of Irish pub life that is captured in here. Yeah. That is 
very seductive. Yeah. And I kind of understand why Farrington's, you know, looking at the words with three Bs and can only think about yeah. the kind of heroism he can turn this into at the pub, right? At the pub, you can be a different person. You can you can shed your old identity, be whatever you want to be. You know, we have a boss telling you you're nothing, right? You're, right. You could you could story tell it to your buddy. As long as you have money, as long as you have money, and you can you can front drinks for the boys, you can be part of the conversation. Hold on, and if you're physically imposing and you're known as a True. strong man, so yeah. the fact that that goes away and somebody ups him is is it's it's so traumatic for him. That's what he's relying on. He's relying on being able to go to the pub because now the next time he goes, people are gonna rip into him about yeah. this. He, he may hear yeah. about this one over and over. Uh, it, it, it'll, yeah. <laughs> it'll be a story that's repeated and repeated. Yes. Like their story that oh, already to indignity to indignity. He had to stand this guy drinks. Yeah. One thing happens and it's retold half a dozen times it's minimum. <laughs> you know? And and you know, unless something replaces it, that might go on the next night and the next night. Farrington became fodder for that replacement story yeah. in a way. Yeah. That's that's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> right um i mean because basically structurally what you have is work is hell the pub is a relief home is hell what we see in in that middle glimpse of of hope yeah. is the deterioration of joy so you know think you go say you go out to the bar on a friday night right it's not as though your 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 experience at the bar is limited by your funds. I mean, I don't know about you. I don't go to a bar and drink until I literally have no money at all, <laughs> so that I have to pawn my watch. You do, like we talked earlier, that sense of time running out. You know that they're he's enjoying himself at the bar, but you know it's ending based on money. Remember, two guys drop out right away, right? The first bar yeah, they yeah, go yeah. to because they they don't have the funds, and so there's that melancholy slips in because the money's run out. But he's still got money, so then they pick up other guys, go to another bar. But you're always feeling like time's running out, money's running out. Yeah. And, and you know, there's another aspect I was thinking about. It's almost like the stories are currency, right? Farrington gets there and he tells a story. And one of the first things is that guy paid for a drink because that yeah. story was so yeah. good. And then you get another guy. I think it's uh, – oh, oh, what is the name? O'Halloran, right? O'Halloran tells a story – that he's like, I got a story that's good too. And he tells it, but it's not as good as that one. And they appreciate it, but they go back to Farrington's story, right? Because that's going to give you status, which is is going to to demonstrate itself in a drink, which is the goal, you know? Oh, O'Halloran's story was a, a retort that he had made to the chief clerk when he was at Callan's on Found Street. You know, like all these guys yeah. working these similar jobs are all counterparts, you know? counterfeits in some way yeah 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 but you know they're there and i like another thing about that is um it makes farrington's story sort of universal all of these dudes at that bar have their own shitty story from the day and their own walk from work to the bar and their own kind of you know retelling of it and and manipulation so that it has a certain effect and you know and they all understand each other, and they all are of a piece. You know, the, the, Farrington is just one of many. The people are counterparts, but the stories about the people are counterparts too. You know, they're they're all just kind of interweaving with one another. Yeah, yeah, and that's an archetypal story. Like yeah, everyone always wants to that. have a story sure. to stick it to the man, like the witty thing you said to the boss <laughs> that took everyone by surprise. Yeah, the jerkster. <laughs> jerk store, the jerk store. No, that's exactly right. You know, right? George Costanza is so happy because he can outwit the guy 
It's a mess. Yeah, but that's a great example because both stories are pretty dumb. Like <laughs> terrible. That, you know, even just the, I don't think that's a fair question to ask. It's not really that witty. Right. I mean, it's kind of. <laughs> I, I, I thought that was a cultural thing. Maybe that, like, you know, we have just lost, you know, any sense of, you know, proper decorum. And, like, that slight retort was something that was devastating then. Well, I think, I think that that there is something to be said about that. I felt like he couldn't say, it wasn't a fair question because if he was going to be honest, he was going to say something terrible, right? right. And he <laughs> couldn't lie. He's not going to sit there and lie. So this is maybe Farrington's most, uh, you know, civil. Like yeah, it's a, it's a civil way of saying, I really don't think highly of you. Yeah. Are you going to make me say that out loud? That's good. Yeah. I don't know. Um, one other thing, women in the text, I think is very interesting, right? We see a woman, a woman at work, a woman at the bar, a woman at home, right? A single woman. They all have kind of um, similar functions, though. They're only here to further emasculate Farrington, right? The woman that uh, Alan, you know, seems to have a crush on or whatever is present for, you know, this, you know, his, his, um, his taking down, you know, when he's really lays into him, that hurts, you know, and the idea that Alan cares so much for the woman and that he's making points with her in the room really hurts Farrington. And, nope. and even dismisses Farrington just with a flick of a finger. Right. right? Yeah. Points. Points and just, yeah, yeah over there, over there. Um, right. Humiliating. The woman at the bar with the English accent has that kind of semi-post-colonial bent to it. And you get the um, superiority and how dare she. And all he wants is for her to turn and look at him. Yeah. Right. No, he doesn't care if she buys him a drink, goes home with him. All she wants is to know, he just wants to know that he has made some impact, a visual impact on her. He's interesting enough to take a second look at. That's all he's asking for. And she doesn't give it. And then you go home and all he wants is a cooked meal. And the wife is absent. She's colluding with the church. She's colluding with the church. (laughs) But from his point of view, she is, right? She's in this large conspiracy against him, which is irrational and no justification. But... That I think Joyce is capturing that. Yeah. This is uh, kind of off on a tangent, but for some reason, this last part, when he enters his house and he's looking around, and he can't see, and he, the child comes out of the darkness. You know, who is that? Said the man peering yeah. through the darkness. I think immediately of the Odyssey, and not immediately, but I started thinking of the Odyssey and the Cyclops episode. Mm-hmm. Because oh, the whole time yeah. with his dark wine face, uh, just hearing wine dark, dark wine, I'm thinking of Homer and his description of the sea uh-huh. constantly. And, you know, Joyce would have been able to read Greek, but I'm sure the first time he read the Odyssey, it may have been in, well, I shouldn't say I'm sure. Who knows? But, you know, wine dark sea is a, a rep, it's a formulaic repetition in the Odyssey over and over again. And so that put me in the mind of just this. It's a kenning. Yeah, it's a kenning, exactly. And he's a, he's a, he becomes a... A Kenning. K-E-N-N-I-N-G. What? Explain. Oh, um, it's, it's a, it's a structure where you have, what, a a noun becomes an adjective as a descriptor, right? So, yeah, the, right, Joyce, the famous one in Joyce is the snot green sea, right? right? It's, um, you know, unlikely uh, in Beowulf, not Beowulf, in, um, one of the, the major ones, right? The Whale's Way. Wait, is that no? That, that's not a Kenning. I don't know. But but it, <laughs> that's something else. I can't remember. But the um, yeah, it, it's just it's just a it, it's a convention of the Greek syntax more than anything, right? 
Um, Wiley Odysseus, right? You know, th it's kind of adjective noun pairing. I'm probably yeah. off on well, some of that. I mean, I wonder and, if and the way it's usually used is, 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 it's, it's formulaic in, in Homer and in uh, other epic poets because the idea is you you have this memorized text. I'm getting way off here, but well, you know, yeah. the idea is you want to have those lines where you can just repeat the same yeah. thing without actually thinking of what you're saying when you're already planning the next text. But I think that the whole idea of repetition, that's what made me think of it. And he really is a beast in this. He's like a blind beast, like get me food. And the child yeah. is almost like food for, you feel like he's going to eat this Does kid. he not know who the kid is? Like, yeah. Well, who is that? You know, he's got five Charlie? kids. Give, give him a break. Yeah. Who is that? Uh, who are you? Charlie? No, Pa Tom. Where's your mother? Like, you don't even care. Like, it's really monstrous. And that's why yeah. I asked that sadist thing. Like, this seems like, like, you're going to beat this kid that's trying to make you dinner and, like, oh, God. It's not I mean, even Charlie, you know? I know. It, he's tough. I like that they're interchangeable. He doesn't know. But there's something so, so sad. But I think it's sad because of the truth of it. Yeah. You know, I, I, yeah. what's really compelling is how he makes the excuse to beat him. Right, yeah. you know, it's like he's looking around for something, right? He's trying to find something, and finally, the kid's gonna make you're gonna make dinner on that fire. Yeah. There's a fire going. Where, where like, do we have? I mean, physical violence is probably omnipresent in this world, but you don't actually get like the, the camera trained directly on it. And yeah. here, like when you get that description of the boy squealing oh in pain God, I know. when yeah. he's been hit. That, How when he gets the lash on yeah, his thigh. Yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah, the boy uttered a squeal Damn. of pain as the stick cut his thigh. Oh. That's more direct than anything we've read thus far. Oh. It's always been implicit. That's a great point. I didn't realize that. That, that yeah, violence is probably part of their everyday life. Yeah. We don't see it until it It seems potential perfect. constantly. Yeah. It is the first time it it's comes late. through. Here it becomes right? it, it, it's like It's like the encounter. We're just up to the edge of a horrible incident, yeah. but then we pull back. So the right? thing is, is some really cool writers I, I've liked, they've done things where they, they have this kind of violent moment, but they don't exactly tell you, they allude to it. And I kind of feel like your imagination generally makes it worse, you know, so you can run with it. But here, you know, you're getting you're getting such a direct view of it that it is also kind of cutting and disturbing too. Yeah. You know, it really. Well, it's the last thing you're left with. You close the book and or close the story, and that you're left with this kid running around begging, begging to say a prayer for his father. Oh my god, terrible! I know, but you know, not to to harp on this, but the absentee mother at church, and the hail marys that you know, Farrington can't even hear. You know, you know, much less you know acquiesce to you know making this awful exchange you know um it's all just so pointed at the church as kind of the culture that exasperates this behavior oh terrible the um there's a little bit of of light imagery i think that's interesting it's it's right after the initial exchange you get um farrington says light the lamp what do you mean by having the place in darkness are the other children in bed the man sat down heavily in one of the chairs while the boy lit the lamp there's something interesting about that. I, I don't know if I can articulate it fully, but the idea that we have a note where the room's being illuminated makes Farrington worse, right? That he's going to do this out in the open. He's going. To, he's not even going to hide in the shadows, hmm. right? That that this kid is going to see the look on that guy's face as he attacks him. You know, it's it's a detail like that that. Um, that makes it more bestial. And it, well, he almost sounds psychotic here. The next line is, you know, he began to mimic his son's flat accent, saying, hack to himself at the chapel. 
at the chapel, if you please. You know, like, he almost sounds, like, maniacal, you know, in some kind of way, like, you know, this guy's losing his mind. Yeah. Oh, my God. And, and you know, the last words, oh, Pa, don't beat me, Pa. I'll, I'll the, the ellipses, the flow of this, you know, it's, it's, it's uncomfortably close to what I imagined this would be. Oh, God. I don't know. I mean, there's something about the end of this that... And yet you started by suggesting it was distant. Right? Remember early on? Well, I, mean, I think it's still yeah, is. I think it still is. No, I think it's still there's, no, there's nothing internal in that part there. Right. You're watching this yeah. from right. the outside. Yeah. yeah, no, he, in fact, this might be the most distant. It's him pulling away from the situation. Um, even the boy, we don't get any kind of internal strife here. We're just, we're seeing the action. Yeah. And the way the earlier parts are written and we talked about we're trying to figure out like which you know what everything means and what Joyce is leaving out. He's leaving out nothing right here until we get to the very end. Like he lays out this happens, this happens, and then you get this this dialogue that goes back and forth. So you get a really clear picture of what of what's happening here. Whereas maybe earlier yeah. on you're, you're left to guess about some of the interactions and, and, and right. things like that. Because that haze that we talked about, there is a little bit of a haze throughout the whole thing. You know whether we're speculating on you know, did he sell the watch or, or what have you. Here, everything's very, very clear. Right. It's set up in that opening paragraph, and it just keeps on going. Yeah. I mean, Evelyn's a good example of that, too. Right? We, we know that there's a potential for abuse, but we don't, we don't see it. We don't see that father hit her or do anything like that. You know? Um, yeah, this is so blunt. This is one of the most blunt things, if not the most blunt thing in this text, right? There's no poetry here. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, it's I, I think this is the most blunt yeah. moment in Dubliners. Right. <laughs> Where do you go from here? And it's, it's interesting that it's, it comes up kind of in the middle of the text, you know, or, 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 or as you approach the middle, yeah. you know, he just kind of yeah. slips it in. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that's good. Um, that famous quote about him wanting to hold up a mirror to Dublin to see itself apparently was uh, given to either the potential publisher of Dubliners, one of the initial publishers of Dubliners, right after he had written this story. Oh, really? And I wonder if that was like on his mind. Like People are going to read this and, and be shocked by this, but let me yeah. tell you, like all I'm doing is holding up a mirror, which would make sense. Counterparts, right? You look into that mirror and you, right. you see yourself. You also see an opposite of yourself. You know, you see uh, perhaps the real you or you see a distorted version of yourself. Or how about even the writer and the reader as counterparts, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you have the artist kind of telling the story, and you have to receive this, and you might not like what you see, but it's, you know, in some ways has some realities to it. You know? Yeah, it's one of the more provocative and, I think, thoughtful titles. I like it a lot. Yeah. Um, there's just so much you can do with it. I mean, you know, you play games, who are the counterparts, what's going on? But I think the answer is all of us, if not all Dubliners, have these dual sides. The public side, the domestic side, how do you negotiate them, what's going on, you know. It's, it's kind of existential. We are all copyists, you know. We are all kind of hanging identities on ourselves based on context. It's a good story. Blah. I think it's a great story. I do. I think it's, you know, one of the stronger ones. Um, I don't know, and I, I feel like I struggle with it. I struggle with, hard. you know, the cruelty yeah. and the blatantness of it all. I don't know, but... Alas, we good? Alright, next clay. <laughs>